Welcome to Rubonus Podcast. I'm the host, Donatus Rubonus, and this time I'm not with my regular co-host, Ritis Vishnauskas, but let me explain everything. Uh, we have one McCollum in States uh, who is actually doing quality and entertaining job as the ESPN uh, analyst for the finals. But here in Europe, we have another McCollum uh, who did a good job making his debut on Urbonus as a co-host in winter. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm glad to have uh, the former EuroCup champion, EuroCup MVP and the EuroCup top scorer, Eric McCollum. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Eric, I mean, if we have McCollum brothers on the same uh, NBA TV show, for example, what kind of discussion it would be? Would you be shouting at each other like Stephen A does? <laughs> or you would be like a team just like CG and JJ Rodriguez? No, um, we would um, we would agree on some topics, um, but we see things differently. Uh, so it would be a little sibling rivalry, um, trying to see who's right, who's wrong. Like even now, um, you know, he, he picked the Celtics, you know, I picked the Warriors. So, you know, there would definitely be some backlash and some back and forth and some jabs thrown, but um, it definitely would be entertaining and informative. So w w what was your reaction when you saw uh, his, uh, his thoughts about Draymond and Celtics and, you know, them winning the NBA Finals? Yeah, I just told him that it's hard to trust youth. Um, I think the Celtics <laughs> are more talented. Um, I, I love their size, their versatility on defense, but, you know, this is new for them. They haven't been there um, and they don't play with that same team-oriented game, um, the ball movement, um, the selflessness that the Warriors have. And I said... You know, I, I never trust the young players when the money's on the line. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. And uh, what would be the other topics you would agree and disagree uh, the most? I think um, we like um, similar type of players. Um, some of the scorers, um, some of the guys who can really change the game. You know, we kind of have that feel for you know, you know, scoring the ball as well. So we're going to appreciate guys who can do it in a magnitude of ways. And, and I think... Um, you know, just our overall knowledge and experience using, you know, everything we went through, through basketball, through life, we'll be able to apply that, you know, on the show and stuff. So it will be fun. Uh, maybe that's something down the road we could explore, but um, definitely something that I think is possible. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. And uh, does CJ, he like this uh, new role as the ESPN analyst? Maybe he even receives more support from fans right now uh, than <laughs> just playing basketball. Yeah, he's enjoying it. I think um, oftentimes, you know, we always think that basketball is going to last forever. We think it's going to be something that, you know, is always there, but you do age, you do get older, um, life changes. And this is just another part of life that, you know, you have to prepare for, you have to get ready. And, you know, when you're done something your entire life that you love and you enjoy, um, you want to find, you know, a second career that you also can find that same feeling. And I think just being around the game, talking about it, you know, being able to give back, you know, that's something that was intriguing to him and, and he's taking it all in. And it's also a good way to kind of like, you know, do a mini internship to see if this is really what you want to do um, post-basketball. Yeah, so today with Eric, we'll talk some EuroLeague bas basketball. There are some, we'll discuss some uh, off-season moves which are happening or might uh, happen. And we actually, we'll, we'll try to throw some interesting free agency scenarios that will include FS, uh, Vasily Misic, Fenerbahce, Maccabi, Monaco, and a few others. So let's start with your former team, uh, Anadolu FS, uh, which you played for before uh, their EuroLeague era uh, as a potential tribute team uh, has started. Um, I just have two quick, quick questions for you. The first one about your former coach, Ergin Ataman. 
if Ergin Ataman becomes the assistant coach of the NBA team and brings his fists, his predictions, at least some part of his crazy personality, what do you think what America would be talking about him one year from now? <laughs> if he did leave, I'd be surprised just because, um, you know, he's had so much success in Turkey, you know, it's where he's comfortable, it's where he's home, um, you know, he's taking over the national team role. Like, if, this, if there is a time to leave, it is after two championships, but, um, you know, he would have to, you know, continue to improve his English, um, adapt to the role, you know, assistant coaches don't have, you know, that same power, that same control. And, you know, he's a guy who, you know, likes to have the reins and the, as you want to say, the keys to the, to the car. And I think um, it would be a big adjustment, you know, sometimes saying your ideas and, you know, maybe them not getting used all the time. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's for him, but, you know, it seems like he has an interest to go to the NBA and you know, he wants a new challenge and, you know, maybe after this third title, if they try to make that run, you know, that would for sure be the time to go. Yeah, I agree. If if FS failed uh, to defend the title, maybe there was a higher possibility uh, watching him going to the United States. But now it's different and probably now it's different because they're not um, dropping their bar in the yearly. I mean, uh, they already uh, kept Shane Larkin uh, on a two-year extension. They already signed Will Clyburn and probably they're not that far away from keeping Vasily Misic. And they're very close to signing Ante Zizic. It seems like it's it's getting done and it'll be uh, announced after the season will be over. It, it actually might be over uh, tonight when we are recording the podcast because Fenerbahce is playing FS, game four of the Turkish League finals. But anyways, having this squad, and especially if Vasily Misic uh, remains in FS, do you think that this new big free of Misic, Larkin and uh, Clyburn and also upgrades like Zizic makes them clear favorites to defend the title and to go for a three-peat? I think so. Um, they have continuity and they've been together for many years. You got to think this squad has been together, the core, four or five years. Um, you bring in a guy like Will Clyburn, um, who's everything they were missing. Um, someone who can shoulder the offensive load, someone who can score in the post and outside, he draws fouls. He improves their transition game. Um, he's a two-way player. You know, at six foot seven, he can go guard one through four. He can switch on the five if it's late in the clock. Um, and oftentimes, if it struggled when Misic was hurt or when Larkin was hurt or, you know, when those two had to kind of shoulder the load. I mean, you even saw in the final, um, it was very tough to manufacture any points for them, um, you know, outside of those players. And I think, Clyburn coming in just kind of alleviates, you know, all that stress, all those issues and, you know, gives him more balance. And he's a guy who can play in the system and who can play in the freelance offense as well. So, you know, I love to sign it. And I think, you know, with him, um, with the big man's issues inside, if they can kind of keep place because you need that big man shooter as well. He was you know, instrumental for them in, in the final four. I think they're the clear favorite to win it. Do you think there might be some... Mm, ball sharing issues in that team maybe they will have to play some guys off the bench for example uh, I think defensive um, issues I think Clyburn is comfortable coming off the bench um you know this year he came off the bench as a six man he could be the starter as well um as you saw you know Shane's unselfish um, you know he can go out there and score 30 but I think this year you know he you know was getting the team involved more he was scoring about 15 points a game uh, you know he can create and when you're chasing history um everyone's just trying to to win the game. I think that allows you to, to come in selfless. Um, you know, everybody's already under contracts. 
So, you know, there won't be some greed or some selfishness. Clyburn has a two-year deal. Shane just did a two-year deal. I'm sure Mises will probably get an extension as well. And that kind of allows players to, to kind of relax um, as far as a stress standpoint and just go out there and play basketball. And a lot of teams don't realize that, but, you know, when you give guys that, that comfort, um, that stability, um, you know, oftentimes it leads to better performance. Yeah, there's one important thing that uh, Misic is on a three-year contract with FS, but the thing is that every summer he's he has the NBA opt, uh, option and exit clause. And this year, compared to the last one, there's a higher chance that he might go and he might end up signing in the NBA. Personally, I didn't hear anything besides Chicago Bulls. There are some other teams in the mix. It seems like it's kind of obvious that he won't go there for the OKC. So his draft rights has to be traded uh, for him to move to the NBA. Shane Larkin's situation is also very interesting because despite signing this two-year extension, he also kept this NBA window open. And what is also intriguing that he kept it open even for this summer. And from what I heard, the Washington Wizards really likes him. So... It will take some time to see if all of them uh, will stay. But I mean, the window is open and there are a lot of things you cannot control, like draft, trades, free agency. So it's it's unclear uh, what we'll see in July. But for example, in a hypothetical situation, if Vasily Misic is leaving, who do you see it as the as the best replacement for Misic or maybe FS having this Larkin, Clyburn? Maybe they have to find or look for a different type of player. Because maybe it's just hard to find a specific uh, specific uh, replacement for Vasily Misic. Yeah, it's tough because um, Misic is a good scorer. He's a good shooter. Um, he has good size and he complements Larkin well. So when you think about replacing him, if you want a one, you're going to have to get a guard with size because, you know, Shane's a little shorter. You don't want to wear him out um, defensively and take away from his offensive game. And so when I start thinking about guards who have your elite experience, who have had success, um, I'm thinking Wade Baldwin, um, you know, he's six foot four, he's explosive, he can get to the basket. Um, you would need him to play, you know, sometimes more of a facilitator role uh, with Clyburn there. But I think with his size, his defense, defensive versatility, he could be a guy that could kind of, you could plug in and could be successful there. Um, now with also with the addition of um, Clyburn, now maybe you don't need as much scoring. And, you know, with that, um, I think Perry Henry could be a good pickup. He's a guy that could kind of get them in their offense. He's a taller guard. He plays good defense. He's a smart player. He has experience, you know, from the years in ACB with Basconia, um, now with Fenner. Um, I think that could be a really good pickup because you're going to want to find a guy. You're thinking Mises gives you 18 points a game, 17 points a game. But with Clyburn, you might not need a guy who can score that much. And you can get someone who can kind of just facilitate and, and get guys the ball in different spots. Yeah, that's that's a good point because I was also looking for some uh, floor generals, generals, uh, let's say, and it's really hard somebody in Europe who could try to uh, follow Vasily Misic's uh, footsteps. Uh, I actually went after Lorenzo Brown. He had also a great season with uh, Unix Kazan. And I like what that. was interesting, I, I, I had him, I, I compared him with Vasily Misic on Instats, uh, Advanced Stats uh, database, and their numbers are pretty much identical. I mean, the only main difference is that Misic is just a bit more efficient scorer, but Lorenzo Brown does all these other things a little bit better, like uh, getting more rebounds, steals, and he's also tall, he has that size to play good defense. Uh, he can both 
create and score. So, of course, after this, that season in Kazan, it's maybe it's too early to say if he's ready, you know, to step into MVP's shoes. Uh, but at least skill-wise, even maybe personality-wise, personality because they're both a bit, let's say, closed leaders who like to lead by an example, uh, not by, just by talking and just uh, gathering everybody in the locker room. Maybe he could be a nice fit, but at the same time, if Misic leaves, it's it's a really big bet, you know, for FS uh, to to replace uh, such important player. But Perrier yeah, Henry one was was interesting. Yeah, I actually forgot about him because okay, he's under contract with Fenerbahce for the next year too, but it's not guaranteed, and I think that Fenerbahce has a team option. And from what I hear, it's it seems like that Perrier Henry actually might leave Fenerbahce, so he might be available for. Uh, for FS. Yeah, I like that Lorenzo Brown one. Um, he was excellent this year. Um, he had uh, Kazan in the playoffs, you know, before you know, they were kicked out of the Euroleague. Um, you know, he does all the things you mentioned. Um, he has a size, he has athleticism. Uh, he could be perfect there. And the difference is, too, I think when he had his struggles in Fenner, he didn't really have freedom. Um, Adam is a coach who gives his guards freedom, allows you to play that style, to get up tempo, to play that pick and roll game. And I think you would see him thrive in that system. Yeah, and by the way, if if we're talking about message, what do you think? What's the best NBA fit uh, for him? Yeah, it's gonna be tough because well, OKC owner his rights. They're high on Josh Giddy, who who just had an excellent year. Um, Shea is a great point guard, one of the best young players in the league. Um, so there's not many minutes there for him, and you're talking about a guy who who commands a big salary, um, so he's gonna get paid you know accordingly. But he's also young enough to where he's going to want minutes. And is he going to be happy playing 10 to 12 minutes a game? Has it, no, no. Know, I can't see that. Do you leave being a year lead star, you know, MVP, you know, close to home? Okay, you're not in uh, Serbia, but, you know, Turkey's very close. I just can't see it. But if, it, if there was a team, um, the team I would think that probably could be most um, helpful for him, I would say maybe the Spurs. I mean, they have DeJounte Murray um, and – he could come in and, you know, be another guard. You know, Pop is, you know, likely to play um, European players to give you a chance. If you come in, you fight, you play hard. You know, that's a system that, you know, he could have a shot at. Um, but there's so much, like, the hardest position in the NBA, I think, right now is the one in the two. Like, it's so deep. There's so many good players in the East and the West. And even when you think about the bad teams, I mean, you go to Sacramento, they have De'Aaron Fox. Um, you know, you want to think about all the teams he struggled um, even though Charlotte, you know, didn't really make the playoffs, they had LaMelo Balls there, uh, uh, Terry Rozier. I mean, you start to think, where where could he find somewhere where he wants 20-plus minutes a game? It's going to be extremely difficult. Yeah, exactly, because he already emphasized that he's not chasing this NBA dream desperately. He's looking for a solid role, solid minutes, maybe coming off the bench, but getting at least, as I mentioned, around 20 minutes per game. And probably, I believe, that he prefers winning teams and maybe maybe Chicago uh, could be an option they were trying to get to make that trade last year uh, from what I remember they might go after him uh, this year but again I mean and Bay is a tough tough beast a lot of uh, unpredictable things might happen and if once again uh, the situation uh, won't provide him any possibilities I wouldn't be surprised if we'll see him in EuroLeague again and you know it's it's not a bad it's not a bad backup plan when you have especially when you have already Phil Will Clyburn 
uh, and his contract set up for FS when you have Ante Zizic, uh, another big man which uh, Vasily Misic really likes because he likes to play with these good rollers, with tall guys who can help you uh, finishing high above the rim in terms of uh, adding these putbacks just like Tibor Plyas did in the final game uh, against Real Madrid and who doesn't require ball a lot. So yeah, it's not even a bad thing for him to stay in EuroLeague, to, to go for a free beat and maybe to establish the FS as the best Euro EuroLeague team of all time in modern era. Yeah, and I think Chicago is tricky because if they keep Zach and they keep DeMar, you're talking about two guys that play 38 minutes a night, 37 minutes. There's not much time. Then you look at uh, Lonzo Ball, you know, he's going to play 30 minutes. Uh, you know, he was a lottery pick. And then Kobe White, you know, had a good season. So it's, it's really tough. I think um, I think he's a star in Europe. He's a great player. I think his game is better suited for Europe um, than the lead. And I think that's why there's teams that are a little bit hesitant. I mean, we saw it with Kevin Pangos. He was great in Europe, came off an excellent season. You know, he picks a Cavs team who's supposed to underachieve, who's not supposed to do very well. You think he's going to slide in maybe at that two position. Colin Sexton just emerges out of nowhere. Um, and Darius Garland plays excellent. Pangos finds himself getting BMPs, getting no time. And, you know, he tries to get back to Europe as soon as he can. Um, and, and that's a situation that I think can happen to a lot of guys if you don't find the right fit. Talking about the other Turkish team, big powerhouse, Fenerbahce Istanbul, they're uh, facing a massive rebuild this, this summer. It's still, it's not announced yet, but uh, coach Dimitris Etudis is taking over the team. There are a lot of expiring contracts, uh, especially including star players like Jan Vesely, who's rumored uh, to go to uh, Barcelona. Nanda Dicolo is on expiring contract and it's not clear yet if he will stay with Fenerbahce. So starting this rebuild, uh, if we had to choose the superstar, you would start, I mean, your league superstar, uh, you would start rebuilding your team in Europe. What, who would be that guy? Like you can go get anybody? Uh, let's say being trying to be more realistic, realistic. you cannot uh, get yes. players who are under contracts with other big okay. teams. Well, if, well now, I know it's not going to happen now. Um, before Tudis got the job, um, I would have said maybe Mike James. He's free. Um, you know, he oh, okay. has the potential yeah. to lead a team. Uh, he has a skill. He's done it. He showed what he did with Monaco, but you know, I'm not sure a reunion with Mike James and the Tudis would, you know, go so well. So <laughs> with that situation there, um, if I had to choose a next a next player that, you know, has the ability to take over games and can kind of lead them. I think you keep a couple of the core guys. I, I just you can't change the entire roster because it's like starting from scratch. It's going to be too difficult. But the Tudis is going to want to get, you know, his DNA and his type of team, you know, guys who can switch. Um, defensive versatility you know he likes bigs who can post he likes also to have a different lineup where those bigs can stretch the court and you know he likes his guards to be able to defend and to have size um you know but I, I guess there's not a lot of guys available that i think can really change you know maybe the culture in Finland right now just because guys are stuck under under contract but the tutors is a good coach mm. maybe that's let's say the window to go for NBA players. Like, for example, uh, I remember last year, uh, Zenit and Petersburg, they kind of surprised us all bringing Shabazz Napier over here. And we have to admit he was great in the preseason. He was scoring like hell. Uh, and maybe that's an idea which other teams should follow because sometimes it looks like this EuroLeague basketball, EuroLeague market is kind of packed. And especially with this free agency, with not many 
greatest, greatest level, uh, I would uh, emphasize guards in the market uh, available uh, to sign. It's probably this this situation requires something, some brainstorming. And you know, when you have Mauricio Gerardini at your office, he knows NBA market very well. So maybe that's an opportunity to go for these NBA players. I don't have a specific name uh, because it's it's hard to find these, let's say, borderline NBA players who could go and adapt in EuroLeague to lead Fenerbahce in the EuroLeague, which is very, very tough tournament. There are some ex-EuroLeague players like Tomasz Satoransky, Brad Wanamaker, maybe some other guys who could who could come and help Fenerbahce to be a, that top team again. It's it's kind of you know, um, and and unfiltered water uh, for, for for that kind of opportunity. But I think that they have to be creative in in this market. I was actually thinking uh, uh, about Nick Kalaitis because from what I hear, his situation in Europe is pretty unclear. I mean, with Barca, okay, he's under the contract, but there are rumors or at least there are some teams that are checking if he's staying because probably you saw Tomas Satoransky having this picture uh, with him and Sharuna Sisekavichus at some restaurant. There are reports about them being in talks and it's pretty hard to imagine uh, Barca uh, uh, having accommodating both Kalatis and Satoransky on the same team. So maybe Kalatis uh, will be moving and maybe for Fenerbahce that's an answer uh, you want to go with to have him Nikola Milutinov is pretty close to signing with them. He could be a, your centerpiece at the front line. But at the same time, I have all these doubts. For example, Kalaitis, I think he turns 34 during the season. And me personally, I don't remember any championship team uh, which had, um, I would say, veterans like Nikolaitis as your go-to guys. Uh, so it's, it's a tough, tough market to start a rebuild, I would say. Yeah. I, there's one guy I was thinking because I know Finner, you know, probably wants to save money. Um, this guy's stock is probably a little bit down because the last two years he's had, you know, some rough endings with his teams. Um, but he's a talented player. Um, Thomas Hertel, um, he could be a good guard that you could, you know, put out there that can play. But you got to pair him with a, a defensive oriented two guard who has size, um, who can score. I think a lot of these guys getting off the market, you know, could be hurtful. I think. Um, a Kobo, um, that would have been a good target for Finner. You know, I think he's a guy who can really score. He's young. He won't be, you know, super expensive. And he could have been a great signing. But sometimes if you, you're you slow to pull the trigger on players, um, you'll miss out. And then I know they probably wanted to wait until they understood the coaching situation based on how this finals went and based on if Etudis was going to be there or not. But, you know, if you snooze, you lose. And, and if you don't move quick in the market, sometimes, you know, guys will be gone or they'll have agreements Um you know, secret agreements, you know, already already handled. Yeah, that's the thing, because uh, from what I heard, Fenerbahce, they were also looking at him and they followed him his situation really closely uh, during the season. But it seems like this kind of uncertainty or being late in the market didn't help them at all because he, at least from what I've heard, he found an agreement with Monaco uh, way earlier and everything shows that he's going to end up uh, there. And as you said, yeah, it would be a great replacement even for Nando De Colo as a younger Frenchman with kind of same uh, abilities of to score the ball, uh, some some new face in the EuroLeague because as I said, I think that we're missing some new faces in the EuroLeague. A lot of good players are going to, to the NBA from the EuroLeague. Some NBA guys are coming, but it's so hard to adjust there. And for example, uh, especially talking about guards, I mean, can you name some great point guard which had his EuroLeague uh, rookie season? It's tough. It's tough. 
probably we found Keenan Evans as one of the best rookies point guards in the EuroLeague. But I mean, it's we're not talking about the elite players. Shabazz yeah. Napier, I mean, that maybe he was the one, yeah. um, but he ended up getting injuries all the time. So it's there's a no tough rookie, situation, really. There's no rookie who you're probably going to want to build your team around, especially at the point guard position, the most demanding, um, the toughest spot, and then playing for Finner where there's high expectations. Fans are expecting Final Fours, Turkish Championships. Like that's a big responsibility. You're going to need a guy who's experienced and you know who's an extremely high-level player to, to kind of right the ship. If you were a GM, uh, what's your first move building the EuroLeague team? Uh, who, who do you prefer? Do you want elite point guard or you want like player like Will Clyburn? Maybe you like Bigmans? I go first point guard. Um, they have the ball in their hand the most. Um, a good point guard can make the game for e easier for everyone. They can get the ball in their hands. They also have the ability to score. Um, the game is so much pick and roll. So if you get a good point guard, you can kind of dictate the tempo. It makes the coach's job easier because he's not always having to stress or do everything. You know, he understands that the, the point guard can kind of lead the team and kind of put them in good situations. And then my second pick, I'm going with the five. You want a guy who's athletic, uh, who can protect the rim, who can um, finish. Um, if he can hit the um, free throws, that's good too. But I think just a defensive five who's athletic, I think that's, that's golden. Um, and, and then – the third spot, I'm going with a score. You know, it doesn't matter if he's a two or three, but you need someone who can fill it up when your plays aren't working, when you're in the playoffs and, you know, the team has heavily scouted you. Um, they know your actions before you even get to the spot on the court. You need a guy who can make something out of nothing. I think if you have those three things um, and you put complementary pieces around them, um, you can be extremely successful. So if you start the team from scratch and we have all EuroLeague players available, who, who's your number one pick of the EuroLeague draft? Number one, I got to go with um, Miritich. I mean, he's unguardable. Um, the size, the versatility. Um, he stretches the floor. He pulses up. You know, he's too big for the four men. Um, you know, he's too agile for the fives. He's smart, draws fouls. I mean, you know, I think he's, he's just a, a nightmare matchup and he's playing in a, a system that's a little bit restrictive, you know, that's controlled, you know, um, you have to do, you know, exactly what the coaches say. You have to run through, you know, there's not too many breaking the plays in Barcelona. So the fact that he's able to have that success to put up those type of numbers, you know, when he doesn't have the ultimate green light, you know, just shows um, how special he is. But he's not a guard. And if in the first round, you're missing a lot of great yeah. guards who are going to be drafted. So who, who would you pair him up uh, together in the second round? In the second round, because Miritich, he's just a special guy. I'd normally go guard first, but with him, like that size, the way he shoots, like you have to take him. But for the guard, I would go Larkin. Like, I mean, he's explosive. Um, he can really shoot it. He's efficient. Uh, he can dominate a game. He finishes at the basket. I mean, it's, it's extremely impressive because he's very short and he's able to somehow, you know, finish with the trees, uh, make shots, and he's clutch. I mean, you see him, like he'll hit nine, ten threes or, you know, he could get to the hole and, and get to the line 10 to 12 times. So, like, he's a guy, his efficiency is excellent. You know, I like guys who can, you know, score efficiently, shoot good percentages. And somehow, even when he's scoring all those points, the team still feels involved. So, like, he's a guy that, you know, if I can't get Miritich, that's who I'm going with. But there's no chance that you're getting Shane Larkin in the second round. So, this is a dreamland. This is for sure. I mean, they're probably one and two off the board. 
Yeah, yeah, but I have to admit that FS for what they did, I mean, bringing both Misic and Shane Larkin, I mean, that's probably the best way to start building a championship team, really, because in this modern EuroLeague, guards, they're winning uh, tournaments. And even in the final, in the final four, we saw that as soon as they reached the stage where they were getting closer to winning the title, we all knew that the ball will go to Misic and Larkin's hands and they will do their best to win it all. And it's just impossible to stop stop them. You can contain one guy, but you cannot, but then you have Shane Larkin next to Misic or vice versa. So it's it's just amazing thing what FS did and they're they're dangerous. If they're keeping all of them, they're they're really dangerous. Monaco seems to be a dangerous team. Uh, they have this agreement with Eleo Kobo. Uh, there is Jordan Lloyd, uh, another unannounced uh, agreement for the next year. And they try to keep Mike James. Some I know that some people thought, a lot of people thought that when they kind of reached the agreement with Kobo, when they had this deal with Lloyd, it seemed like that maybe they're preparing for departure of Mike James. But from what I hear, the initial plan is to keep Mike James, he's still the priority signing uh, for this summer. The question is what kind of salary they will agree on. Probably that's the late, the last thing they have to uh, find an agreement. But let's say it's more likely uh, that he will stay in, in Monaco and it's very high chance that we will have this backcourt of Mike James, Okobo and Lloyd, which is, I have to admit, pretty rare in the EuroLeague basketball because these are, uh, let's say offensively oriented players, elite scorers, and somehow they will have to share their roles, responsibilities. So that's where I want to hear your opinion. I mean, is it that, was it the main piece, the missing piece for Monaco to make the final four? Or you also have some concerns how this project with all of them on on the same backcourt will end up? Uh, I think Sasha Bravich is a really good coach. I think he'll to find a way to to mix and match the lineups. Um, I don't like the signing of all three. Um, I think it's a little bit of overkill. Um, you have too many guys who do the same things. And I like my backcourt to be versatile. Like I want guys who bring different elements to the game um, and do different things. And it allows them to complement each other. But when everyone does the same thing, it's almost like, you know, going to be a battle, you know, sometimes like for the ball or, you know, for possessions. But I do think that um, Jordan Lloyd shows he can play in the system. Um, Javi Pasco is very um, disciplined. Um, you know, he has 50, 60 sets. Um, so it shows that, you know, he's intelligent enough to understand that. And you saw that he showed his growth. He was in a system um, um, in Valencia and, and where he kind of had to maintain himself and play within the team. Then he went to Red Star and he showed he, with that freedom, he can be that score. And then back to Zenit where he showed that, you know, he can be controlled, he can play, you know, for the team, he can defend, he can do different things. Um, the only thing that's also alarming is that they're all small, smaller guards. Um, you know, it's going to be difficult to play all three together unless you're playing against a smaller team. You know, Mike James, uh, I don't know, maybe 5'10", 5'11", um, Okobo 6'2", six, six and then Jordan Lloyd probably 6'3". So, I mean, for me, you know, you probably obviously start Mike James um, and then – I would start Jordan Lloyd alongside him um, because I think they can mesh well. And then I would bring a Kobo off the bench for the score. And I understand why they signed him. He's a French player. He's extremely talented. Um, you never want to have too few players. And then you never know what could happen with Mike James. You know, if you put all your eggs in one basket and he decides to go to another team and now you're stuck with only Jordan Lloyd and you're going to be in a similar position that you were last year where you didn't really have many creators. And I think that hurt them 
um, in this series, I think against Olympiacos, when Paris Lee fouled out, um, there was really no one outside of Mike could really create. And with Thomas Walkup, um, you know, defending at a high level um, and then bringing the defensive help, guys on the elbows, double teams, if they had that secondary ball handler who kind of lightened the load or who could attack Salukas, um, it kind of it could have changed things for them. So I know why they watched those series, they watched throughout the year, they lack primary ball handlers and guys who can make things happen. And, and you can tell they remedied that this year by signing three. Maybe it's too much, but I do think it's three really good players and, and they're going to all have to buy in and it's going to have to be sacrificed on each end. Yeah, we'll have to switch one of them, I don't know, to maybe even Thomas Walkup uh, for his defensive and the playmaking skills, maybe even, you know, Nick Kalaitis. I would actually love to see Nick Weiler Bob next to this uh, group with his defensive presence, with his size, uh, with, his, with his willingness to play for the team. But what I have to admit that Jordan Lloyd really surprised me last year because I also knew him as a scorer, as a shooter, as a deadly scorer who can shoot from everywhere. There's no contested shot for, for the player like Jordan Lloyd. But for Xavi, when he had these point guard problems, when Shabazz Napier was out, some other point guards were injured, Xavi Pascal needed a point guard. And Jordan Lloyd also had this role of a playmaker in, in that team. He played both for both positions. And he was willing to accept different roles. He was willing uh, to accept the role of being next to somebody, and to, next to scorer. And I think he did, did a great job in, in, in Zenit. And from what I've heard, he's a great guy, both on and off the floor. So I believe he's matured uh, and experienced enough to accept any role he will be given in this uh, Monaco team. And of course, uh, Mike James is aging and probably they will um, give him some rest in the domestic league where Elio Kobe is a Frenchman. He will be a huge advantage. And me personally, I would also love to see some different uh, players in this backcourt, but at the same time, if they will manage to find good pieces around them, which won't be easy, they will be fine. But at the same time, looking at this market, and I see players like Volkop, Weiler Bob, they're under the con under contracts for the next year. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, uh, really. Both in EuroCup, I couldn't find uh, great pieces to fit this uh, this uh, backcourt. Although I like some other players, like for example, John Brown, who's also uh, about to sign a contract mm -hmm. with Monaco. Dante Hall, uh, even yes. Jaron uh, Blossom game. Uh, I mean, these are good players. These are good signings. Most of them are willing to work off the ball. Uh, most of them are really good defenders. Maybe they are still lacking of a good shooter at a four position, uh, but they might be very nice and maybe even better built for the next year when they were in the previous one. Mm -hmm. Anything to add about Monaco? Yeah, I think I agree with you big time. Um, I love John Brown, great signing defensively. Um, you know, he's really good um, guarding any position on the switches. Uh, you know, I've been playing 12 years um, professionally and he's the best pick and roll defender <laughs> I've ever played against. Like he's everywhere. He's active. You kind of always want to target where he's at on the court. You don't want to attack him. But with that said, they also do need a four man stretch shooter because um, sometimes you can slide John Brown to the five and, you know, he has that physicality and the smarts to guard the five. And sometimes I think that's when he's at his best when he's playing the five because he's involved in all the pick and roll actions and he allows the team um, to take a step up defensively. Um, so they definitely need some shooting. Um, um, that will help, you know, space the court for all those great scores, and that will give them space and room to operate. But 
you know, without that, the paint's going to be extremely clogged and it will be easy to, to shrink the court on them. Yeah, some, some numbers to take into consideration. First of all, usage percentage. I think that's uh, Okobo, Lloyd, and Mike James. Uh, their usage usage percentage was from twenty six percent to twenty nine, and I believe that all of them made top ten or top fifteen uh, in the Euroleague, which is huge. And also, defensive ratings were not in all of these guys' favor. Uh, basically, all of them, with all of them on the court, Monaco, Aswell, or Zenit. Mm, they were worse defensively, at least by six points per hundred possession. So these things just kind of wrap up uh, what we're talking about. I mean, finding better defensive players. They already have some defensive uh, players like John Brown, Dante Hall, and other guys. And finding somebody who will be willing to play these guys who like to take these shots, who like to play ISO, and just you know accept uh, this role of being off-ball players and you know trying to find how to be successful without having the ball in their hands like fs like fs like they FS, got a lot of right. role guys right and that was a good combination yeah okay uh one other team one other intriguing uh team oh by the way uh there's one thing i want to address there's one problem i want to address we're talking about these deals which will be officialized after the season for example okobo um, maybe Jan Vesely to Barcelona, uh, Jordan Lloyd. I mean, there are many uh, more moves. Uh, there's even some crazy situation when uh, I reported that coach Jean Penaroya was about to sign with Basconi after the season. And it turned out that Basconi and Valencia, they faced each other in the playoffs of Spanish League. And what was interesting that Basconi, with coach Spahia, they beat Valencia. But then after the season, coach Penroy is replacing Spahi at, at Basconia, at the helm of Basconia. So that was a weird situation, but there are even more situations. And where I'm going to, uh, I would like to see something like a free agency period in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe some tampering rules, because a lot of times players, teams, GMs and coaches, they're really put in some crazy situations where they have players, players already signed with another team, with other teams in March, in April, in May, and it's just, it's just so tough. And especially in Europe, it's so specific. Uh, Europe is such a specific uh, continent of basketball because mainly after the Euroleague, you kind of feel a big, big decrease of motivation. I would say effort, energy, and intensity in the domestic leagues because season in Europe is really long. It takes more than 10 months and it's really intensive. I mean, every game matters. There's a lot of pressure. A lot of coaches are changing. Players are moving. It's 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 very hard league, uh, hard continent uh, to stay in. And then, I mean, you're already tired in, in, in June where you're fighting for these domestic league titles and some players, especially key players, they already have these contracts in their pockets for the next year. So, I mean, I think it's 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 bad for the European basketball. I know that it's hard to find common set of rules for all Europe because we have Euroleague, Champions League, domestic leagues, different countries, different rules. So it would be really hard to find something like a free agency period which could start at July 1st or something. But probably, you know, we have to take this into consideration that it's not going uh, well for, for European basketball handling this situation. What do you think? No, I think you're right. Um, I think it creates a lot of problems within teams. 
um, an organization. Imagine if you're a player um, and you're out there playing and you read that somebody's coming to replace you. You know, you could take that one or two ways. Um, one, it could motivate you, make you play harder, um, make you want to fight to because now you have to maybe find another job somewhere. Or two, you know, you could preserve your body, um, you know, be cognizant of injury and, you know, save yourself since the team didn't have the decency or the respect to have a conversation with you or your agent or, you know, to even wait until the season is over. You know, it's very hard to be professional in those type of situations. Even being a coach, reading that you're going to be replaced and you haven't even finished the season, you could potentially win the championship and they're going to replace you. Like, I mean, it's extremely cutthroat in Europe and, you know, fans always want uh, players to be loyal um, and they want them to stick through and fight out. But when you're not given that same type of loyalty, um, that's why you're going to see players do what's best for them. And you're going to continue to see that because just like teams will do whatever they need to do to better themselves, players will do the same to put themselves in positions. And I think you'll start to see coaches doing that as well. Um, you know, so um, a free agency period would be great. Um, only problem is that, you know, like you said, you know, with so many different competitions, you know, with the, the rifts between FIBA, EuroLeague, um, I don't think they'll ever agree to all do it at the same time. If they did, it would be very good for basketball. It would give teams a, a fair and even chance to get players uh, the same time frame. I think the team that you're currently on should get the first you know, dibs that you should get the chance to get the first offer. Um, and then you could be something like the NBA where they do like a restricted um, free agent where that team offered you. And, you know, if somebody doesn't pay more, you know, you have to come back, something like that. Um, I think that would be fair if a guy signed an offer sheet and, you know, he took it to other teams and did it that way. But uh, some teams might be scared of that, you know, because they could get into bidding wars and, and they might not want to pay. But either way, if you don't pay the player, you probably won't get the guy you um, desire. Yeah, there's another nice example of the NBA. When you try to hire some uh, somebody from the coaching staff or the, from the front office, you have to call... Um, that team's front office owner or somebody who's in charge just to warn him that, A, we would like to have him in our team and we will start this interviewing process and it's kind of, you know, gentleman way to start the negotiations. The problem in Europe is that probably more than a half of these deals are made uh, without, uh, you know, approaching anybody uh, behind the scenes, behind the table, uh, under the table. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, things. M maybe you had any personal experiences? I mean, having... <laughs> yeah teammates, coaches, having these deals being replaced or about to leave the team during the season? What do you remember the most? How they kind of reacted to it? To it how they acted after that? Yeah, when I was, um, I was 25 or 26, um, you know, I was coming off like a breakout year in Europe. I had led uh, the Euro Cup in scoring, uh, the Greek lead in scoring. I think that year I got like Greek lead MVP. And, you know, halfway through the year, um, a key player on the Euro lead team got hurt. Um, towards ACL and you know the team was trying to bring me in in January um, my team declined to buy out um, and they was like no nah, there's no buyout for him right now only buyout was during the summertime so you know that was that I was okay with that and then like two months later uh, one of the rivals of that team they came and uh, you know they offered me um, and it was March and they wanted to meet for coffee and I was like I, I can't do that like I said this I, I wouldn't feel right. You know, I was happy with my team. Um, you know, obviously I had played at a level where they were no longer going to be able to afford me. Um, and that was just the facts of it. You know, no matter what they tried, they didn't have the financial means. And, you know, I just felt like they put me in a position to where, you know, I was able to showcase myself to show myself. And I didn't want there to be any questions of, you know, 
if I didn't took my foot off the gas, or, you know, if I was out here, you know, trying to not play as hard as I once did. If you have one bad game, you know, and you might've just had a bad game, you know, people might correlate that to something else. And I didn't want that. And I for sure didn't want to be seen in public. And I told, you know, the owner that like, you know, I'm flattered. Um, I appreciate um, your interest. You know, it's a goal of mine to play at the yearly level and I want to get there. I said, but right now, with you know, respect to my team, I feel like it would be unethical. And, you know, for me to be meeting with you and to be discussing next year when we could potentially play you in the playoffs and, you know, he 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 was on the phone and he said, I like you even more. Um, and, I, <laughs> and then he raised the offer. <laughs> he went all in for that. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and I didn't end up taking it. Um, I waited and I wanted to um, um, let the season come finish. And I told him, like, yo, it's not that I don't want to offer you. I'm flattered. You know, at that time, like, I mean, I think they were like four or five X in my salary. And so like, it wasn't that, I mean, the money was big, but I knew that like, if I'm getting that offer now, it's going to be there for me um, in June. And, you know, I was patient to wait, you know, had some other interests from other teams, but I just didn't want to do that. But I understand how some guys, you know, it could be your first big contract or it could be you know, a certain amount of money that you, you know, couldn't imagine or a city that you desire or someplace that's perfect for your family. And it's extremely difficult um, to say no if it's everything that you wanted, you know, and and so people might say, yeah, I wouldn't sign. I wouldn't do that, you know, but until you're in that situation, it, it's tough, you know, and I was tempted, you know, I thought about doing it. I was like, man, like, I don't want them to be mad at me. Cause I said, no, cause you know, some teams get upset, you know, when you turn them down one too many times and they might not offer you no more. Yeah. That's a tricky situation. Just the current rules, they really leave this window open for all these kind of uh, crazy uh, possibilities and, and, and opportunities. So maybe these rules, the the ideal scenario would would change the picture, and we would see like more competition, and even in the domestic leagues at the end of the season, more fair fights and, and and things like that. Because as I mentioned, you cannot judge everybody. Okay, they have deals for their own purposes. You never you never know what's the family situation in that team. Maybe he wants to be sure about his future. Maybe he has some injury concerns or whatsoever. So it's. And we cannot judge anybody, uh, but at the same time, yeah, there has to be some 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 rules. And for example, the situation we're talking about is one of these examples. Uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv, they're trying to get Xavi Pascal, who is still on his way to uh, winning VTB uh, title with Zenit St. Petersburg. And they're still trying to persuade him. When we will publish, publish this episode, maybe we will read news that... Zenit, in the end, they rejected the final offer of Maccabi and Xavi Pascal is staying in Russia for one more year, which is actually very likely, at least from what I've heard from my uh, sources. Uh, we'll see. Uh, soon we will know. But at the same time, in, in this hypothetical situation, if not Xavi Pascal, who do you see as the best uh, coach uh, for this Maccabi Tel Aviv team, where I think that we have to take in, into consideration things like culture uh, to team which prefers signing a lot of american players uh, where the help of the local players is not as significant as for example i don't know lithuania greece turkey or spain and it's a it's a specific environment uh, to play in uh, i think so maybe it requires kind of a different coaching approach uh, for that team yeah um, there's usually never an american coach uh, in the yearly, but if someone was going to do it, I think, you know, Maccabi would be, you know, the place to do it. I know Zagiris did it for a little bit and, you know, they end up getting rid of that coach, but it usually, you just don't see it often. And I think, um, you know, that's something that they could, 
you know, think about just because, you know, with so many foreign players, you know, with the style of play that they play up and down, you know, very kind of NBA oriented, you know, it might help to, you know, get somebody with that experience who's been there, you know, who, whose game suits that. But if you're going to go European, I think really if they're going to get rid of the Fenner coach, I think he's probably the best coach on the market. That's free. That would be clear that you wouldn't have to worry about um, that has experience and who has won at a high level and could potentially win the Turkish league this season. I mean, when you're getting a championship winning coach, I mean, it's not a bad way to go out. And, you know, you saw what and he did. That's, with that's another great example. That's another great example. The coach who is about to win the Turkish league against the EuroLeague champions knows that he's out of the team after the season, which is crazy. <laughs> but yeah, Sasha Georgievich, he will be available. I just didn't think about uh, this scenario. That's a good point. That's who I would go get if I was Finner. I mean, if I was on Maccabi, that's who I would go get. I was actually thinking, I tried to think out of the box because when there's a coaching spot in any open in any of the Euroleague teams, usually there is that closed circle of coaches, which is just changing teams uh, year after year. And as you mentioned, um, there are not many American coaches here in Europe. There are not many successful or, let's say, coaches who has this trust and respect from the European basketball and from the elite EuroLeague teams uh, because it's really hard for American coaches to get a job at the highest level. But I actually thought, okay, this this is too late uh, to throw this name because that, um, that coach is going uh, to Asia. But the, I was thinking, what about John Patrick? I mean, for nine years, he was doing great job at Ludwigsburg working for a mid-level German team with very limited financial resources but having his own identity it's you know he built a culture in Ludwigsburg with a lot of up-and-coming uh, American players starting from Royce O'Neill uh, for example he started his European journey over there Thomas Walcott, uh, Nigel uh, Nick Weiler Babb, uh, Jalen Smith for example some some other guys uh, he's playing this sometimes crazy basketball with Tremel Derden at, at the center position. I mean, uh, he's a modern coach a coach with a lot of interesting ideas. He knows the culture. He knows the way uh, how American players are thinking. Uh, he knows the culture. He could he could feel the culture of, of, of Tel Aviv. He has his interesting ideas and he built a culture in Ludwigsburg and Maccabi is now looking for a coach who could build a different culture in the Maccabi as well. So I thought about this name uh, as well. But yeah, he's signing in Japan. He's going there. He never got a chance at the Euroleague level, and I think that it's a some some kind of you know miss for European basketball. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, Euroleague uh, likes likes to play musical chairs with the coaches. Um, they recycle the same coaches. It's very hard to break in. Um, I think the next coach, he although he did have Euroleague experience um, briefly with Red Star. I mean, he's a guy you could look at too. Um, from um, the coach from um. Versa, versus ah, Olymp Coach Olympievich, right? Yeah, like I mean, he did an excellent job. I thought he was solid the year he was at Red Star. I mean, you know, I know they always have you know expectations to do a little bit more than their budget um, you know pertains, but I thought he did a solid job there. And then the job he did um, with Versa Sport was you know incredible. And you know sometimes you want to see it more than one one year, you know. But I think just the fact that he was able to to knock off those big teams and to get his team playing at the right time at a high level, I mean, it just shows you you know, his ability. And if those guys didn't get in such bad foul trouble um, in the first half and if they didn't have so much nerves um, that first quarter, uh, you know, it could have been a different ball game. Once they settled down, you know, they played pretty evenly with Bologna. But, you know, that first quarter, you could tell um, they were not used to that stage. Um, you know, they were a little bit shook. 
Yeah, I was also thinking about some traditional options, and I thought, what would be the best way to to combine this American style of basketball with the Euroleague style of basketball, with the intensity that Tel Aviv as the city offers, the fans offers. And I thought about Spanish coaches, and there's a 60-year-old Pedro Martinez, uh, former Spanish league uh, champion, who He's won the Spanish coach. league five years ago. He did a great job with uh, Manresa. Uh, I think they had the lowest budget in Spain, and they made the playoffs. They for a long time they were in the top five. They were the best, the highest scoring Spanish league team as well. So trying to combine this uh, run and gun Spanish basketball with a great ball movement, with the great ball sharing, bringing some discipline that Pedro Martinez always has with him, maybe also might be good, but he, we see all these reports, him being in talks with Valencia or in talks uh, with Mandresa to stay over there. It, it's not clear yet where he will end up. But if, for example, these negotiations with Xavi Pascal fails and he's still available, I, if I was coach, uh, if I was a GM, Nikola Vujic, I would really think about uh, this coach as well. Yeah, I think that would be a good fit. Um, just the fact that they want Pascal, you can tell that they want a system. They want control. Um, they want to get guys to buy in um, to roles and, and to play with a little bit more control. And I think um, that's why they they're trying their hardest to prime away from Zenit. Um, and I don't think they're going to be successful. Um, I mean, this is the first time there's been a new champion um, in the VTV lead in nine or 10 years. And, and Zenit got a taste of that success. You don't just let that person walk out the door. Yeah, especially when there's no buyout clause. And I mean, they showed a lot a lot of love to him. They paid huge bonuses. He's getting paid uh, really well and probably they will increase the salary for the next year. So even from 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 Chavez's side, I mean, he might make a smart move of staying there and waiting for the next year's free agency because we will have all these teams like Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, with coaches on expiring contracts. So so yeah, if if uh, if I would bet, I would say that Chavez is staying there and probably Nikola Vucic will have to listen to this podcast, you know, to uh, yeah. to find some some good uh, <laughs> uh, suggestions yeah, for the head coaching possibility. Yeah. Yeah, if he decided to leave, he's going to be coaching for free next year because that buyout is yeah. going to be huge. Yeah. And to, f to wrap it up, uh, I asked you to do some homework for this podcast as the EuroCup representative, uh, as a guy who knows, uh, who reads the game very well and who knows the difference between the EuroCup and EuroLeague basketball with this um, kind of um, narrow uh, market, EuroLeague market this summer. Who would be your five picks from the EuroCup who could who could have some success in the EuroLeague and especially if it's possible to make it uh, by every position? A guy I really like, uh, he's special, uh, Caleb Holmesley. Um, he's six foot mm -hmm. five, six six. Uh, he can really shoot the ball, can pass, can play the pick and roll. Um, he's a guy who's a EuroLeague talent. Um, you know, has the NBA skill set. He's a he's a French guy. You know, he could go to the NBA. He could play yearly. I'd be shocked if he's not um, in the year league next year because um, I was extremely impressed with him and, and things he did at Hamburg. Um, I, I think he's doing some NBA wor workouts at the moment. And of course, his primary goal is the NBA right now. But from what I heard that, of course, he has 
significant interest from the Euroleague teams. And there was reported as well that Jalgeris Kaunas uh, was looking at him. And I believe that there are even uh, bigger uh, caliber teams on the Euroleague mar market looking, looking for him. So if not the NBA, I really think that uh, he will end up in, in the Euroleague tournament next season. Yeah, and there were some guys um, who um, I think some teams were trying to buy him out um, in the middle of the year, some yearly mm -hmm. teams, and um, Hamburg refused. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's true. He was a guy, if you remember when we talked earlier, he was on my list uh, for the yeah. top five guys. Another guy who was on my list, Jerome Blossom, Blossom game. game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like him. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who um, you know can shoot the three, who's uh, physical, who's strong, who can guard multiple positions. You can put him as a three-man, you can put him as a four, but he can guard one through four. He rebounds. Um, you know, he's special. You know, Ohm had got them a, a steal. You know, I'm not sure how he ended up there, but, um, you know, he's a guy who's a clear yearly talent, and I knew it from from just watching the games. And you saw the performance he put on, um, you know, during the Euro Cup playoffs. He was not afraid of the moment. You know, he's a guy whose game I like. I don't know him personally, but, you know, very talented player. And then um, uh, clear, easy one, uh, Jonathan Motley. I mean, of course, like this is even the blind can see this. This is a guy who can uh, – you know, dominate the interior in the post, um, has a good face-up game. You know, he's a versatile big man, you know, kind of like a more athletic Kyle Hines when it comes to getting the ball off the, off the rebound, pushing in transition. Um, you know, he's not the defensive player Kyle Hines is, but he can guard, and he's um, you know, much more offensively. You know, a guy who can dominate the glass, dunk everything. Um, I mean, he's just a nightmare for bigs. I watched him give uh, Nikola Milutinov problems um, in the playoffs. Um, you know, Jessica was sending double teams, and you know, they got to the point where, you know, they took him off him because he was just too quick, too agile for him. So and he can step out and shoot the three. He's a guy that, you know, he'll be fringe NBA, probably get a monster deal in China or, you know, a big deal in the EuroLeague team. It just depends on what he wants to do with his career. You know, he, I'm actually I'm actually shocked that he's still unsigned, at least in the EuroLeague, uh, because I was sure that he all the top teams will go after him because all the top teams, they were looking for centers uh, like Barcelona, like uh, Fenerbahce, uh, like some other clubs, even Olympiacos, Efes. I mean, everybody. Yes. But from what I've heard, maybe only Fenerbahce is linked uh, with, with John, with Motley. And I didn't hear much about him. You mentioned China, and from what I've heard, it's it's an option because they can pay a lot. But I just really hope that I mean he. I think that he belongs to the Euroleague. He might make some noise over there, and if he will be successful the next season, I mean, he can dominate Euroleague basketball for four years. Yeah. So I just I hope did. that that maybe he will choose less money now. But I mean, the reward in the long term, it would be even better for him here in Europe. Yeah, he could be a star. Um, it's just the fact that he doesn't have a job, um, like a, somebody just took him off the market immediately, like some of these other guys. I mean, it's it's baffling. You know, I don't know what's going on. I know that guys covet Jan Vesely, um, but to me, he's more versatile. He can do more. He's younger, um, and he's cheaper. I mean, so I mean, it's like he checks off all those boxes. But I know teams, you know, like you know, you know, consistency. They like guys who have done it over and over again. But you know, this is a guy that can get it done, and he can switch uh, one through five. He can guard guards. He can guard bigs. You know, he can play some four. You know, I know Brandon Davies is also probably going to be on the market as well. So, you know, he's a coveted big man. So mm, maybe that has something to do with it. But there's a lot of teams who I saw who could use his services. Yeah. And so then, now I see and hear Euroleague GMs getting closer to the screen. 
listening to your backcourt suggestions from the EuroCup. Yes. What do you yes. have? So a backcourt player that I really like, um, and I think he he brings some versatility. Um, you know, he has that size. You know, that Wade Baldwin size. Um, you know, he's extremely athletic. Um, he's a pass first guard, um, Darius Thompson. Uh, you know, he's a guy that you know should be on the Euro lead radar. Um, you know, he can run a team. Um, he's excellent in transition. Um, he's continued to develop and showing his pick and roll skills. And I think you really start saw him start to blossom uh, in the Euro Cup this year. Um, you know, he was one of the better players. Uh, uh, to me personally, the best point guard, either him um, or Justin Cobbs. And, um, you know, he just showed you know, his, his versatility. He can guard, you know, one through four. Oftentimes we switch with them. Um, you know, and he showed his ability to shoot the spot up shot. Um, he can hit that shot. You know, he's a guy who likes to live in the paint, drive and create for his teammates. But, you know, if you, if you do force him in that position to where he hasn't shoot it, he will shoot. He's just a guy who likes to get the team involved. Um, so he's a guy that I think, um, you know, should be at, um, you know, probably those teams that are in that nine through like 14 or 15 range. He could be a guard that could really, you know, do something for him. I think he would be perfect um, with the Tudis because uh, the Tudis likes taller guards. Um, and he likes to switch with them. And, you know, he's a guy that he can kind of, you know, tutor along the way and help his game develop, as you've seen him do with some players. Kind of like when he took um, Corey Higgins, when people probably didn't really expect that coming from Gazantep. People were like, this is a questionable signing. And then Corey Higgins became, you know, one of the better guards um, in the EuroLeague. Yeah, um, Jargis is one of the teams that asked about uh, Darius Thompson. But the problem is that he's still under contract with uh, Krasnodar for the next year. And I'm not, I'm not sure about the buyout, so it might be not so easy to get him out of there. But I also see him as the borderline EuroLeague player uh, for sure. Even for teams like Jalgiris, for for the bottom teams, it's it's probably the best platform even for himself. You know, uh, to try to check, to learn, uh, to adjust, to get a lot of minutes, a lot of responsibilities, and to be leader of the team. There there were some concerns, but there's some people that if he's vocal enough to be a point guard, uh, what do you think about that? Maybe he needs some some fired up guy next to him, you know, to be successful uh, floor general for his team. Yeah. I think he's a guy that, um, you know, has that ability, you know, he's, he's such a good teammate that, you know, he's going to always put the team first. Um, you know, he's very likable. Um, but I think, um, as he starts to age and get more experience, you'll start to see him be more vocal, controlled offense, command offense. But I think he's a point guard. Um, you know, I know, I know a lot of teams want to use him as a combo, um, but I think he can be your lead guard. I think he can be the guy to get you in spots. I think you pair him with a good scorer, and um, you'll see you'll see him continue to blossom. Right? Give him a guy who can score, and he's going to find a way to make the game easier for them. I know for me, you know, he was really good at driving, kicking, getting in the paint. You know, his head is always up. He's throwing the ball ahead. I mean, he does the little things that sometimes you don't see in the statistics, but he also will get you, you know, 12, 13 points, you know, six assists, six rebounds. I mean, he's a triple-double threat, you know, on the majority of nights. Okay, so who's your fifth guy on this list? And then the fifth guy, um, I tried to name all guys who haven't played um, in the EuroLeague um, just mm -hmm. because it, you know, it, it gives you more intrigue. It shows you things. So the fifth guy who had a really good year, a uh, breakout year, I would say, is Will Cummins. Um, you know, he's a smaller guard. Um, but he's fast, he's quick, he's a crafty finisher on the inside. He, he improved his jump shot. I think that's what really hurt him um, earlier in his career. Um, it's hard to be a slasher, you know, at six foot. 
um, you have to have some balance to your game. And this year you started to see him, you know, hit some threes off the dribble, come off the screen. We saw his pick and roll game improve and he became a better facilitator. Um, I think that was all he was missing was a consistent jump shot and the ability to facilitate. Um, oftentimes, you know, if you want to score and you want to be um, efficient, you have to be able to, to pass the ball. I'm not saying you need to be Steve Nash or a guy who's out there getting eight, nine assists, but if you're a guy who can get four or five assists and create some easy shots for your teammates, it kind of keeps the defense honest and prevents them from bringing all the defensive attention to you. Um, and if they do do that, you have the ability to maybe you don't score that night, but you can go get 10, you know, 11 assists and, and kind of control the game there. So I think um, he's a guy that you know has not yet played at the yearly level. Um, he'll be a guy who's probably on a high level Euro cup team or a low level Euro league team. And um, he's going to have to be, um, you know, improved defensively, um, continue to fight, do his thing because there will be some mismatches because of the size they'll try to post them. And once you show some toughness and you show your ability to, to guard the post, um, your league teams won't test you then, but you have to, you have to show it early. So, you know, those are my five. Those are the guys who have not played in the Euro league who I think, you know, have the potential, the capabilities to, and, you know, they're all under 30 years old. So, you know, that's something to look at. Yeah, I remember that Cummings was on a rise after his German experience with Vecta. And I remember that even many EuroLeague teams were following him very closely. But I think that many of them got scared after his lo uh, locomotive season. As you mentioned, he had some shooting woos uh, that year. Uh, maybe he struggled to run the team as the point guard. And I remember that Mantas Kalinietas was taking a lot of point guard responsibilities, playing playing a lot of minutes. And probably that's, you know, where some teams backed off uh, of signing him, especially for the EuroLeague level. But for the things he did in, in France uh, this year, for the adjustments he made, uh, for his improvement, probably he some some EuroLeague team might, might end up uh, signing him. Of course, there are not many... Uh, open roster uh, spaces left in the EuroLeague, especially for 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 guards. Uh, but at least as a backup, uh, I think that it might be very uh, interesting choice. Yeah. And yeah, you you made a good promo for all of the five guys. I hope that they're gonna take you for a dinner. At least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then especially um, mostly. I, I mean, you kept praising him from midseason, so yeah. He, he, I, I tried to warn you a lot. I tried to warn Europe about him. I, I foresaw the dominance coming. Uh, my honorable mention guy, um, who I wanted to slide in there, but I could only have five players. Um, Cody McIntyre Miller. Um, he's a guard who has great size, um, extremely athletic. Um, one of the fastest guys with the ball and the break. Um, showed his ability. He's always been a good passer, a good rebounder, a good defender. I think what's hurt him in the past is the consistency in the jump shot. And this year, you know, you've seen the ACB lead. He, he started to show that you know, you can't leave him open no more. He can make that shot. And he had a very strong season and um, he took um, his team um, deep in the playoffs of the Euro Cup. They didn't have a lot of success in ACB, but I don't contribute that to one player. You know, it's a team game. A lot of times you need other players to step up around you. And, you know, with that roster, sometimes they did not always have it. But the fact that they were able to get um, to the final four of the Euro Cup, um, you know, was excellent. I think he was the driving force behind that. You know, so he's a guy who's extremely talented as well. And the guy I like, and as long as he continues to to hone that jump shot, you know, I think you'll see him, you know, climb up the ranks quickly because he has the physical profile that um, your lead coaches covet. Yeah, so a lot of great suggestions for the Euroleague GMs to consider. Thanks a lot for your time, Eric. I mean, it was a, it was a great basketball conversation once again. I'm happy I'm happy to have you here. I hope to have you more uh, this month. Maybe one of the. Uh, 
more interesting and most entertaining coaches might join us uh, as well uh, for this podcast because of course we will have a lot of interesting off-season moves we still have domestic league finals for example in in spain barca and real madrid they're just starting their series uh, today on monday um Virtus Bologna, Armani Milan, final series, Olympiacos, Manhaikos. So there's still a lot of basketball uh, to talk about. And of course, free agency is not sleeping anytime in, in Europe. There are no rules, no free agency period. So every night we, we might have some interesting transfers. So once again, Eric, it's a pleasure to have you here. And I hope uh, to see you guys. Uh, I hope to see you on the podcast in the future as well. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And it's fun always coming on a podcast with you. And for sure, I'll be here in the future as long as you'll have me. Follow us on basketnews.com and on our Basket News YouTube channel. See you soon.